I was a dark horse, but I was supposed to be working for my team. And as I was working for my team in cycling, you go off the front and you kind of tease the other teams. They make, you make them chase you. Well, I got off the front and no one chased me down because I wasn't a favorite. They're like, Oh, who's that new girl? Yeah. And I just riding as hard as I could. And I was like, I'm going to Olympics. Oh my gosh. We are the tide from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating our rivals never gets old. Making our way to the Big Sky Conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. Whoa, whoa. This is Tubbs at the Club for the Vandals of Idaho. Welcome back, Tribe from the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Hammond, and with me today, I have Martin Heemstra on back-to-back podcasts. How are you doing today, Martin? Good. How about you, Chris? Doing good, doing good. But I think probably most importantly, we have three-time Olympic gold medalist and Vandal legend, Kristen Armstrong. Kristen, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. Well, I know we're super excited to have you. With Normally, we're talking football right now, but when that all got canceled, we are like, all right, who are some just all-time <laughs> vandals we can get on? And your name was, you know, top of the list, and so we're happy we got you on. And, um, yeah, so thank you for joining us. Uh, this episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by Mon Tucky Cold Snacks. Ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky cold snack, an ultra-refreshing white beer born in majestic Big Sky Country. The best part is when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky Cold Snacks donates 8% of profits back to local causes, even right here in Idaho. Supporting organizations like the CW Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw! That's freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, the light American log for pow-pow rippers, gator wranglers, pony riders, and badass do-gooders, visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get your ass some snacks. They probably should add uh, uh, cyclists in there as well for, t- for today's episode. But uh, <laughs> So for those of you who don't know, Kristen, um, why don't you tell the people just a, a little bit briefly about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm Kristen Armstrong. I am a vandal. I graduated back in 95. So quite some time ago, but you know, once a vandal, always a vandal. I'm in Boise, Idaho now. And I guess, you know, for those of you vandals who knew me back in the day as a vandal, um, going to school, I probably did a lot more uh, on the sports side than you ever probably would have thought, just knowing um, I was in a sorority, I had a great time. And yeah, I mean, where I've come from 95 is is completely a different trajectory than I ever thought. So um, I'm always happy to be back talking about my vandal days because um, those are some of the days I'll, I'll never forget. <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna say, I don't know if you saw it in the beginning, but we actually uh, have your uh, Idaho from London has uh, been part of my background here since we started this. So you've <laughs> actually been a part of every episode. You just didn't know it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, well, you, you kind of mentioned it, but one thing I kind of want to start with, um, I know you're originally not from the state of Idaho, correct? So how did you end up at the university of Idaho? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Cause my dad was in the Marine Corps. So I pretty much was a military brat. i moved every three years and I happened to graduate from Okinawa, Japan. 
And I always joke about how I landed in Moscow, Idaho, uh, not Moscow, but Moscow, Idaho. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, people, I, I, I came to the campus after my mom grew up in Idaho Falls. My dad grew up in California. So when you're in the military, you get to choose kind of where you pay taxes. And of course, you know, Idaho, California, it's, it's a new voice there. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were in state and a lot of, a lot of military brats, you know, you either go to, to college where your dad's going to be stationed or your mom's going to be stationed or you end up where the, you know, you get in-state tuition. So that was very appealing for, for my family. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think it's hard to look back now. I mean, I, I, and that's why we're still here. We can't talk enough about it. So, <laughs> what led you to running at tra running track at Idaho? Oh wow! So um, you know, graduated from Okinawa, Japan. There's not like the, the typical recruitment that happens in in most high schools. I mean, as a military child over in a DOD school. You don't have like big recruiters kind of saying, oh, you know, maybe you should go to this college or that college. So I was always an athlete since I was uh, a young child and I loved to play soccer. I loved to run. run. I ran the half mile. And those were probably the two sports that I had the greatest chance of doing in college as a walk on. And at the time when I was at University of Idaho, there was no soccer program. And that was a big bummer because I, I would have preferred Though, given my history now, you wouldn't have thought that, but I would have preferred a team sport in college. And so one day um, I went up to college and the first semester I was so busy, I went through the whole sorority thing and I didn't have a time. I was having just a great time as a, a freshman on campus. And it wasn't until that second semester where I was missing, I was missing my, my athletic um, endeavors and decided that I was going to go try out for the track team. And so I went and I, I did a couple of things for the coach. And so I was a walk on as a half mile runner. And though the time as an athlete at U of I didn't last long, um, I walked on and I trained all summer. And um, when you run a half mile, when I was there at U of I, the coach told me that, oh, if you run a half mile or more, you also um, get to um, run cross country. And I thought there's no getting to about this because <laughs> I ran, I mean, I did soccer, but, um, uh, running a half mile, that was about as long as I wanted to go. And so I ran, um, cross country for my sophomore year. And I just, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. It wasn't the sport that I, I fell in love with. And, um, I actually took a step back and, and I decided to continue my, my career at U of I um, playing intramurals and I had just a much better time, which in the long run, I think that it was probably a blessing in disguise. I was an athlete since I was very young. And so I felt like maybe those few years at U of I, I took a break. When I graduated, I, I had that fire again to, to do something big. So. Okay. And then that you did. Uh, so you kind of, you kind of touched on it, but <laughs> Greek life at Idaho is, you know, a huge part of the university. And being Greek myself, I always like to kind of ask, like, what were your, kind of your thoughts and some of your favorite parts and what led you to doing the, the sorority route when you went up there? Well, just like you said, you know, I think the Greek system at every university is very different. I think that at some universities, it doesn't have such a large presence or an impact. But 
Um, I had heard that at the University of Idaho that it was a really big thing. And for me, coming from Okinawa, Japan, not having any friends, not coming up from any town uh, in Idaho with other high school you know, friends, I, I knew I was going to go to U of I alone. I didn't have a sports team to, to join. And, and so I thought my parents were both Greek, um, actually, when they were in college. So it was sort of my family being in a sorority and fraternity. So I thought I would, I would give it a go and go through Rush. And I became a Kappa. And, you know, it was really one of my best experiences, to be honest with you. You know, I think there's a lot of um, things said about uh, the Greek system, and sometimes it gets a bad rap. But at the end of the day, I can tell you that um, I can always talk about when I was there. When I was there, I feel like I'm a whole woman now. I, but truly, when I was there, um, we had great GPAs, and I felt like I always had somebody in my house that was in a class with me or an upperclassman that could always help me. And, you know, the academic piece of the sorority was um, very strict. And so if you weren't hitting a certain GPA, you were put on probation and you were on an academic plan. So though it looks like, um, you know, the Greek system is all about, you know, going out and going to parties and the whole social life. And it is. There's no question. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a lot of things you learn Um I learned a lot of responsibility. I learned a lot of time management. I learned um, little things like manners. Um, what do you do <laughs> at a formal dinner? And those are things that um, I don't think that you can just learn anywhere else. And so I always um, push going Greek because of the success I had there as I think it all started my freshman year because I think that's where you either make it or you break it. You, yeah. you either make it that first and second semester and then you're kind of on your way. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that support, you can easily kind of fall off that cliff and and be home in no time. So, <laughs> Very <laughs> I, true. Um, I loved University of Idaho because everything on campus that I was doing, I was doing the same thing everybody else was in town. Uh, I was a student and... I worked at the, the pool. I taught swim lessons and I lifeguarded. But at the end of the day, um, I felt like everyone in town was doing the same thing I was, which was was we were trying to make it through our college days. And it was definitely the college experience that I had always, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you think, oh, what is college like? And it was it really provided that experience for, for myself. Yeah. And so then do you have a favorite memory of UI or maybe a couple of favorite memories? Yeah, I mean, there are so many memories at U of I, <laughs> some that I do not want to share. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, some that, you know, one of my fondest memories, and it has nothing to do with like already being up there, but I can tell you, I'll never forget my parents dropping me off the first day and when we were going through rush, we were dropped off at the dorms to check in. And so we would always live in the dorms, go through rush. And my dad, um, I mean, remember I graduated from Okinawa, Japan. So I would say that Japan is a step or 10 steps ahead of Idaho when it comes to fashion. And, <laughs> um, especially let's not talk about the big city of Boise. Let's just talk about Moscow in general. Fashion in Japan, like 
two different things going on here. <laughs> so I, I arrive in Moscow, Idaho, in the middle of like, you can imagine from where I just graduated high school, where, like you said, where, how did you land? I, sh I seriously did land at the University of Idaho. So my dad goes, hey, you know, I'm telling you, when you go to U of I, you need to go up there with some 501 jeans and some Birkenstocks. And I'm like, there's no way. I'm putting a pair of 501 jeans on, nor am I putting Birkenstocks on. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go for my, my stylish jeans and, you know, <laughs> as a senior in high school. And my dad said, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, you just want to blend in. You want to fit in. These people up there are not wearing anything but Birkenstocks, 501s, and probably a sweatshirt. And I'm like, whatever, Dad, whatever. And so um, <laughs> I remember going up there and driving around, and my dad, it's like it's like looking left and right. He's like, see, another pair, another pair. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He was uh, right. And I remember going home for Thanksgiving, and the first thing I did, because back then, 501 jeans, you either bought them, like, brand new, and they were horrible, like, dark blue. Like, you had to break them in <laughs> Or you went to every thrift store and you try to find the best worn pair ever. And <laughs> that's not only did I gain like 15 pounds by my freshman year or Thanksgiving, and I couldn't fit in my designer jeans anymore, but I definitely went to thrift stores and and to, I couldn't go back without this whole look. <laughs> it's, a, it's a special one. It, it's like when yeah. you wear your sweatshirt with your your house name, and you have either 501 sweatpants or Birkenstocks, you know, when it's not wintertime. I'm like, yeah. it's just how, and it's all come back. I mean, this is what people do. Yeah. Yeah. And we had some crazy people that did that even in the wintertime. I had one, his whole thing was if it's not actively snowing, then snow won't be on top of my feet. So I won't be cold. So he wore Birkenstocks every day to class. I was like, you're a crazy person, man. Yeah, It's, <laughs> it's special up there. And I, you know, that was definitely a memory. Um, I would say the other memory I have, again, now I'm taking myself outside of when I was up there. But I'll never forget, I think one of my favorite times up at University of Idaho is the springtime. And I was asked to come give the commencement speech for 2010, the graduates, and to look out and to see, like, 10,000 people in the audience. Um in the Kibbe Dome was a, it was a very special time to come back to my alma mater and, and speak and think back at the day of when I graduated, I'm thinking, I didn't know what this clown set up on stage. So <laughs> my whole goal was to not be normal. Like I wanted to say something that would like, that the graduates would actually listen to. Cause I, I know I just wanted to get out of there. And so, um, it was really cool to have that opportunity. And I still, to this day, will walk through grocery stores. Um, I will I'll go all these different places and people will stop me and they said, you spoke at my commencement uh, in 2010. I'll never forget it. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> I should say that's, that's pretty unique is that, you, yeah, I mean, usually they get somebody that doesn't have any relationship to the university or, or very, very small. Like I, ours was, I think, 2015 was like a, a Moscow local who kind of made it as like a poet and an author, but didn't actually go to the University of Idaho. So it's like, okay, you're still 
there, but I was, yeah, like having someone like you, that would have been, I would imagine <laughs> back in 2010, those, those graduates remembered it, but it was fun. It was great. Yeah. Um, so now kind of getting into what happened after college, uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned like you wanted to maybe possibly explore playing soccer or a team sport. <laughs> You're lifeguarding at the pool. You did a little bit of a track stint. Then you ended up becoming a, a, an Olympian in, in cycling. So what got you into cycling? Just rode your bike to school a bunch as a kid or? Well, it was crazy because I didn't, I definitely didn't ride my bike. Well, I had this bike <laughs> parked in the back of my sorority at UFI for like four years and it didn't move. <laughs> Me and so that was, that was kind of dorky. And the people who like rode around in spandex, I'm like, I would sit on my front porch and I'm like, these, <laughs> these people are weird. Like I, yeah, I poke fun at people, you know, either riding their bikes in spandex or swimsuits, triathletes, whatever. So I graduated college and I got a real job at, I was a aquatic director at the, the new YMCA in Boise, Idaho. And um, I worked really, you know, you go to college and you think you study um, some of us, you know, textbook says, oh, you know, I, I feel like I need to get married. I need to have a family. All these things that you kind of learn depending on your own background. And so I was kind of doing the check boxes. I got this amazing job. And all of a sudden I realized that when you don't have sports and you don't have like activity in your life, you actually have to be self-motivated. You're like, <laughs> wow, you mean nobody's telling me to do anything. And so I'm not. And so there was a time where a couple of years after graduating college, I'm like, oh, wow, maybe I should be active again. Like, I mean, I felt like I was gaining. It was weird. It was a weird time for me. So I decided one day I was going to ride my bike to work. And um, it was like eight miles away. And I was really motivated. I'm like, I'm going to ride my bike to work. I'm going to ride at home. And I rode my bike to work. And I was like, there's no way I'm riding my bike home. I don't know. I mean, Uber and like, um, <laughs> they were not around at the time. And so yeah. I'm like, I don't know how I'm getting home, but I'm not riding my bike home. And uh, it took me a few days to ride my bike home. But I, to, um, I had a swimming background and I had a running background. And my friends, they, they dared me to do this triathlon in town. And it was about a 400-meter swim, a six-mile bike, and a two-mile run. And I got out of the water in a pretty good position. And then I got on my mountain bike with knobby tires that I had at college. And I had tennis shoes. And I was going so hard. And I'm like watching these people like pass me, like I'm standing still. And I'm like, who are these people? And so I got kind of cocky. I was like, well, that's okay. Cause I have running shoes on already. I don't have those like clip weird things in my shoes. And I'm just going to get up and run. I'm fast runner. So I'm going to get off and run really fast and pass all these people. And it was humiliating. Like I got off a bike. I feel like Gumby. I walked. I was like, <laughs> I'm done. I think the race took me like 30 minutes and I was <laughs> Tired, I took like two weeks off. I'm like, I don't need to work out for two weeks because that was really hard. <laughs> and so over those two weeks, I, I was I was like, what have I become? And so I almost shamed myself into like, never again am I going to do this without like being in a little bit of shape. So that's when I started swimming and running more. Um, I started saving up money to buy a bike because I had no money. I was living paycheck to paycheck. I finally um, saved up enough money to buy a bike. And then I had to save up more money to buy a helmet, to buy shoes. Like I was just broke out of college, even though I had what you would consider a good job. Yeah. It was like barely making it. And so I finally got all that stuff. And um, 
I started doing some triathlons and um, had some setbacks with my hips, just really bad hips. And um, I thought, you know, this is just a sign that I need to get a real job and I need to not focus on being an athlete anymore and pass that. Cause I thought at the time I was so old. I'm like, I'm in my mid twenties. Like <laughs> I do not need to be focused on this anymore. This is like what you do in high school. Yeah. And so I went back and, and thought, I'm just going to focus on work. And before I knew it, I had people coming to me saying, you know, when you're doing some triathlons, you became a really strong cyclist. You should think about riding your bike more. And I was like, there's no way. Like I'm focused on my job and my career. And so this local team talked me into riding with them. And one of the largest races in the world came to Boise, Idaho. And it was a 10 day stage race. And I took all my vacation days and I entered that race. And I would go at night and put my headlamp on and I would train, I would just do loops by my neighborhood. And then on the weekends, I would go study the courses that um, were in front of me that, that they were going to have in what they call the HP Women's Challenge. And um, about halfway through the Women's Challenge, I had three contract offers from professional teams. And at this time, I was um, I was 28 years old. And I, I signed on my first contract with a professional team at, at age 29. And then my you know i my first olympics was at age 31 and that was because i was <clears throat> it was olympic trials and the first one who crossed the finish line won whoever won that race got a free spot to the olympics they earned their spot and i was supposed to be the i was a dark horse but i was supposed to be working for my team and as i was working for my team in cycling, you go off the front and you kind of tease the other teams. They make you make them chase you. Well, I got off the front and no one chased me down because I wasn't a favorite. They're like, oh, who's that new girl? Yeah. And I just riding as hard as I could. And I was like, I'm going to Olympics. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like 31 years old and <laughs> I'm going to Athens. And like, um, yeah, before I knew it, you know, this childhood dream that you always think of you grew up watching Olympics and you're thinking, ah, oh, wouldn't that be cool one day? And, and you, you get past it. You're kind of like, you know, you get in high school, you're like, never am I ever going to be that person. And then it happened. And, and after that, you know, I got the bug of like, well, I can do better than this. And oh my gosh, before I knew it, I was going to be 35 in my next games. And then um, that's when I won my first medal, my gold medal in Beijing and then I was like, I'm done. I'm out. I retire. I want to have a baby. And then here comes Lucas uh, in 2010. And um, yeah, before I knew it, I was that person who I was like, ah, oh, these moms, they have kids. Why would they ever do anything for themselves again? Because <laughs> that's not what moms do. That's uh, super selfish. That would never be me. And um, it was just like a month after I had Lucas, I announced my comeback. <laughs> So, um, yeah. And then, um, after that, I retired again after winning my second gold medal and I had lots of injuries. I had three hip surgeries and a spine surgery and I don't know what it was. You know, I went, I got a real job at a St. Luke's health system and it was probably the dream job. Like 
out of college, it, it would be the job that I would have written for myself. Yeah. But there was something about, you know, you go off and you, you hit the pinnacle of sport or, or your career and you try to go get, you try to be a little bit normal. You're like, I just want a normal job. I want to wake up and know what I'm doing every day. And I have a family. And the next thing you know, you're just feeling like, I wasn't even feel like I was challenged and I just wasn't done. And that's what I always say, you know, athletes, when they retire, they have to, they have to make this decision on their own. So here I am, you know, 15 months before Rio and I'm like, I'm coming back. (laughs) And, um, and now, you know, Rio, I'm turning 43 years old and I win my third gold medal, which I look back at those days and that's four years ago now. And, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like people are like, what made you think about going back for a second and then a third? And at the time I'm like, because I want to, like, I'm so driven to do this. And now I look back and I'm like, I was crazy. Like, why, would I, why did I take that risk? Cause you know, in, in athletics, they always say you, you're just as good as your last race. Mm-hmm. So you, you think those risks I took to end on top, I wasn't even thinking about that at the time. Um, so yeah, you know, I don't regret anything. I, I always tell moms that, you know, if I didn't get to bring Lucas along my journey for as an Olympian, mm-hmm. oh, what a, what a bummer that would have been. So yeah. the whole being selfish, like you got to live your dream and, and be an inspiration to your, your children and family. Um, but, you know, I look back at my U of I days and I run into a lot of people and they're just like, ah, oh, you, you're so different back in the day. <laughs> I go. <laughs> um, but you know, I um, yeah, I've been I've enjoyed every minute, and um, you know, I'll never you know always look back at those those definitely those fond memories. So could you explain like you explain like you how you joined it, but like how, could you explain like what time trial races are? Is it yeah. Just like a- <clears throat> So yeah, I should have I uh, should have talked about that earlier, but you know my event is obviously cycling, so it's a bike race. A lot of people know it as the Tour de France. It's a big group of people, and the first person across the finish line wins. And there's normally like a hundred of you or more. Um, so then there's another event called the time trial, which is you're on a bike and it's super aerodynamic, and you can see it kind of in my background. But it's basically you have arrow bars, and you have an arrow helmet, and you have a tight skin suit. And every second matters. And they call it the race of truth. It's basically you against the clock. So every two minutes, you go, and then your competitor goes, and then the next competitor goes. At the end of the day, it's like a time trial. They basically say the fastest time wins. And so um, the distances can vary, though, because in the sport of cycling for women, the, the, the shortest race would be 20 kilometers in a time trial, and the longest race would be four, 30 kilometers. So in Rio, my race was 30 kilometers. It was about 44 minutes in length, whereas some of my other Olympics were about 26, 27 minutes in length. So you think about going as hard as you can for like 26 minutes and then like another year going as hard as you can for 44. I mean, that's like saying that you're going to go run three minutes really fast. And by the way, tomorrow we're going to put you in a 10K. (laughs) You, you know, over time, um, you know, obviously the longer it was, the better it was for me. It's no different than a marathon runner. 
as you get older, that endurance and that stamina just improve over time. And so I was lucky that my career ended with a, with a longer time trial. Um, but yeah, that's the sport of cycling. There's mountain biking, which is on the dirt. There's um, track riding, which is a velodrome, which is like a, a 250 meter circle. Yeah. And they have no brakes. It's and like really so, tilted, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like um you can just tip over. Yeah. <laughs> but um that G Force, it's it's um I've done some, <laughs> I've done some training on those velodromes and that's what you need up in Moscow is you need a covered velodrome so people can just ride inside in circles all year long. The Kibbe Dome, uh, you could probably convert it. Right? Get, get it going awesome. the, right? When the football team's not in there, right? Velodrome for the winter through spring. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, um, you know, speaking of Vandal football, I can't, I can't forget to tell you just because when we talk about fond memories, this is a good one yeah. because mm-hmm. we all, in my generation, you have to brag about. I was, you know, I was at U of I when we won. Yes. When we were there for the twelve year streak. In fact, we used to have the shirts that had like the half rack, like. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we'd be like, you know, we, you know, we, yeah, we were a winning football team. So a lot of the social pieces of being up at U of I was really centered around going to football games. And um, it was just so much fun. And I'll never forget driving down to Boise when we used to play Boise state. And um, those were great, great memories. In fact, you know, with everything going on right now, it's so hard for athletics um for these athletes, you know, I'm coaching three women who two of them already qualified for Tokyo. So they're on their way. <clears throat> and there's another one that's on the cusp um, of, of making the team. But, you know, every athlete that I've worked with, uh, they're taking it a little bit differently. And so, you know, it's tough. I mean, there's people who are truly motivated by this, but then there's also the athletes that um, you have to kind of get you kind of have to light a fire again. You have to say, Hey, we got to get back at it, you know? So, um, yeah. So I, I, I'll go. So the time trial, what's probably the most difficult I'm imagining is like, you mentioned like the tour de France, when you're in that race, you can see who's in first place where I feel like in the time trial, you're just assuming that somebody's faster. So you need to go faster. Right. Or do they have kind of timestamps? So you haven't, have an idea of like your pacing. Like I know, like when you're watching ski racers, like you yeah. know, if it pops up like they're a you know half second off the lead or whatever. Do you get that while you're going? Are you pretty much going in like I know what that person's time was and I just had to beat it? Or so it's on a ranking system, which is great for, for it was great for me because yeah. because I was a reigning Olympic champion, I got to wear number one, which means I go last, which okay. means I have a I have a microphone in my ear. And I don't necessarily, well, I have time splits, but I only have two time splits during the race. And so um, my coach is in my ear. So at the first time split, um, he told me that I was nine seconds up. So that meant I was nine seconds faster than any other person on the course. And I was the last one on course. The second time split, I was two seconds down. And so I was freaking out. And I was going into a very, very wet, dangerous descent. And I took big risks. And then about three kilometers ago, I'll never forget this. It was kind of flat, twisty to the finish line. And my coach in my ear said, listen, 
Um, you're in the metal because he got the news from the radio, the race radio. He said, hey, um, you're in metal contention. It's close. My job's done. It's up to you. Do you want to take home gold, silver, or bronze tonight? He's like, <laughs> he's like, it's down to seconds. So I won the gold by five seconds. So I took yeah. back. So I was two seconds down on the second time split. So I took back seven seconds. That's awesome. And the day before, we had talked about if I get to the top of the hill down, there's nowhere to make up time. So I probably won't win if I'm down. And yeah. so you're two seconds down. I'm like, oh, I lost. Oh. <laughs> I, I just kind of went, I don't know what happened to me. Like, I just went crazy. I just was like, I am not, I can't, I can't, because you got to go, you know, especially when you retire, it's like what you have to live yeah. with. It, it's horrible feeling to think. I mean, it's not a horrible feeling to win a medal, trust me. But <laughs> when you've won the gold, you just want to win it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, but you kind of you touched on it, but part of four Olympics, very in a way, kind of if you're looking at it, two all kind of very unique Olympics. I mean, Athens, your first Olympics is a, a super special one because the first time the Olympic Games have been back in Greece and like yeah. forever. Um, you've kind of touched on Rio. I remember one that was during the Zika virus. So there's a lot of controversy there. And then uh, I remember watching your race because my boss, um, I was out working in the working force and he was a vandal. So we made sure we watched it. But I do remember like there was like a dangerous stretch where, yeah, I remember it being wet because it rained the day before or something. And they possibly yeah. were going to cancel it, I think, if I remembered right or something weird. But um, then London, that was important. And then obviously you got to go to Beijing. Uh, um, yeah. Did you ever, well, obviously it's hard to ever imagine going to four Olympics, but then winning three straight gold medals. I mean, can you kind of just tell us about your experiences and maybe a little fun bit from each of the four stops? Yeah, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite Olympic Games? You know, they're like, assuming I have a favorite. And um, I would say that my favorite was London. And that was really 100% because there's nothing more special than having my son on the podium with me. Like that was just, well, I didn't even know that that wasn't even a thing. So like, um, that's like against all protocol and somehow <laughs> the, yeah, it's <laughs> like he ran to me and I asked him when I was on the podium, when I was getting my medal, I said, can I have my son up here? And they said, no. And the next thing I know, like Lucas is running to me and I, you know, the national anthem's playing and, so there was nothing better than, than London because there were so many people. Uh, when I came back as a mom, there were so many people. That's kind of when social media kind of all started. And there were some mean people out there. Um, they were basically telling me that I was selfish and I was too old. I was in my upper 30s at the time. And um, th there's just a lot of doubters that that I can't do it. So what people don't understand about me is that when you tell me I can't do it, I'm just going to try harder. It's just my personality. Um, and so, um, Athens was like a blur. Um, one of the biggest pieces of advice I got from Athens before Athens was, Hey, don't forget to compete. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they told me that, um, oftentimes we work so hard as an athlete to qualify for something like it might be a time standard for a running race or a swimming race or you might make uh, the finals for like football or uh, a ball sport and you get there 
and you forget to compete because you've already made it to the big game or the big event. And so you always have to look at it as you don't have a second chance. And I got back from Athens because I didn't know what this guy was talking about. I was like, what is this guy talking about? Everyone has advice for me. And (laughs) Athens and I'm sitting on my couch watching the closing ceremonies. I'm like, that was, that was a weird experience. I'm like, okay, so now I'm an Olympian, but I didn't, it was just awkward. I know exactly what he's talking about now. So one of the things I always tell athletes is don't just shoot for a qualifying time because if you're good enough, you need to shoot for a result because you're going to really regret it if you don't. Because if you think about my situation, who would have ever thought that I would have had a second chance at Olympics, Mm -hmm. let alone when you finally make a qualifying time in college, whether you're a runner or whatever sport you're in, you may not have a second chance ever in life. So you always have to think past what maybe that mini goal is. Um, Beijing was just crazy because all of the hype of like, well, first of all, like, you know, I went to go pre-ride <clears throat> about six months before Beijing mm-hmm. and you couldn't even see across the street. I mean, it was just you're like, wow. Yeah. Smoggy. And, and you get there and you're like, wow, what happened? There's like blue sky and the roads that you're driving down, they weren't crowded anymore. And like, there's beautiful plants and trees everywhere. And you're like, Oh, and so the things they do for the Olympics for the for broadcast is quite quite something. Yeah. So you can never really, if you've been to a country before, what they do for the Olympic Games is they pretty much they, they just make it they make it right. Um, yeah. And then so London uh, that was the big one with my child, and then Rio. By far, when I made a comeback from Rio. Um, I made that decision and it was probably a decision now in hindsight, I won a third gold medal and I'm super psyched about it, Mm -hmm. but it was the hardest 15 months ever. And, um, looking back at that, I'm just like, was that even worth it? Um, cause it was that hard meaning, you think people were like hard on me as a mom when I was over 40 people were like, don't you have enough? Why are you coming back? Give it up. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. And now you think about social media and um, you know, you have to always surround yourself by people who believe in you because what I learned in Rio was that people have a hard time seeing people being successful, successful, successful. And so um, as you, as you mature in life, you realize that there's a lot of trollers out there. And mm-hmm. uh, I went through that, that social media and a lot of kids. And that's why I'm talking about it right now. There's a lot of athletes and kids who go through a social media bullying. Um, no matter who you are, you know, there's always unkind people. So my, my, one of my favorite things to do was to, to, to delete people. Any, any mean thing, any affiliation with any mean person is like, you're out, you're out. And so um, I had a, I had a period of time in Rio where prior to the Olympics, I actually got rid of my social media for, for a good 30 days, because sometimes you just have to really focus and, and keep the outside noise. Yeah. Um, you know, it all worked out and I, I came out on top, 
And the other positive about Rio was I mentioned earlier about how important it is for an athlete to retire on their own and to make that decision. Um, a lot of times there might be suggestions, but at the end of the day, you have to decide when, when you want to hang it up. And uh, Rio was that, was that final competition where I, I said, you know, I, I've done everything I want in sport and uh, hit the pinnacle multiple times. And now it's time for me to reverse that role and to pass the baton and, the cool thing about one of the gals I'm coaching for Tokyo is that she's the favorite to win my same event. And so the cool thing is, is that if I can help her win the gold medal in Tokyo, then it's like, um, to me, it, it's like my fourth gold medal because um, I'm, I'm coaching that next athlete in that same event. So um, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. She is the current world champion and um yeah, hopefully, hopefully Tokyo happens. That's still kind of a TBD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much. Um, like I know you kind of mentioned about the Tokyo stuff, but it, you might have seen the question. But what, like, kind of, what was your initial reaction to first hearing that it's getting moved to twenty twenty one? Like, as an as an as an Olympian, what, what was what would you think others might be feeling? What, would, what was your reaction at first hearing that? I think, um, you know, my first reaction was, wow, that, that's some hard, that's some hard news to take. Um, especially, you know, they might've thought as an organization that they kind of, um, did it in advance so that athletes had enough time, mm -hmm. but you know, springtime is when you're, when you're, you're ready. You know, um, you've worked so hard and it comes every four years. And so I coach um, the, the women I coach that have the spots in Tokyo. They're their young 20s. Their attitude and their perspective was like, I have another year to get better. Now, I do know people who are in their 30s and they're this was it. This is retirement. I'm done. And I can tell you that they are struggling right now yeah. because when you have a mindset of being done, if somebody told me I had another year until Rio, I don't know what I would have done with myself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could have hung on. Um, I'll be honest. And so I think it really depends a lot on your age. Now, I mean, you think about collegiate sports and my nephew plays football for C of I. And you think about that and you think about his attitude and he's a junior, he's going to be a junior. So he's kind of halfway through college, mm -hmm. you know, he'll have another year of eligibility. You know, he kind of is like, cool. Like I get to play for another, you know, three years and go to college. I get to be a student for one yeah. of these. And years. so now I have a really, I have a friend whose son right now is a senior in high school and he's a really good player and he's completely freaking out because you look at scholarships and you think, well, we have, we have all these new incoming freshmen who have scholarships. So what do you do with these seniors in high school right now? And so there's opportunity that's going to be lost for sure. Um, especially if they don't play because the West Ada, the bigger cities in Idaho aren't, aren't, aren't playing right now. Yeah. So there's some, I think it depends on, where you are in your career, in your collegiate years. As a coach, 
my job is to keep it all positive in the head because when it comes to this level of competition, it's all between the ears. Like it truly is what you're telling yourself. And if your coach is telling you as an athlete, like we'll get through this, this is awesome. We have more time now to work. We can become stronger. These are our weaknesses. The athlete's like, yeah, you're right. But if the coach questions the decision, then you've lost your athlete. That's, this is what I've learned as a coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it sounds like you are definitely on the coaching train now. No, no chance at you participating in Tokyo um, whenever it happens. <laughs> but I am curious. I, I know you've actually gotten into um, like the business aspect of cycling now. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about um, KX3 Sports and yeah. any of the other stuff you got really going yeah. on? Yeah. So, you know, I've become obviously like an entrepreneur kind of gal because um, I feel like working for someone after the last time, it kind of drove me to go back to the Olympic Games. And I'm like, no, <laughs> and so being an entrepreneur is um, there's positive and negatives. The positives are, you know, you kind of run your show and um, and the negatives are you kind of run your show. Like it's at risk, <clears throat> a lot of work. So we have a couple companies. Um, I have a coaching company. Um, I, I do um, coaching for obviously Olympic level athletes. I do group coaching, um, but also we have designed uh, mounts for, for bikes. It's called KX3. They're carbon fiber mounts that will kind of, you can clip in your computers, um, but they're super slick because the only other mounts out there right now, which was our, our former company, are made of aluminum. And so ours are, is the only mount company that's made of forged carbon. And so if you think about the high-end bikes these days or anything, everything's carbon fiber. I mean, yeah. who's putting like scrap metal on their bikes anymore? It's just not happening. Yeah. You're you spending $10,000 on a bike. You know, why would you put metal on your bike? So we um, have a company we launched. My husband's an engineer. He's a U of I graduate as well. And then, you know, the biggest endeavor we just are into is called Pivot. And we just opened two fitness centers in the last year, in the last 12 months in the Treasure Valley. And we have three more planned. Nice. So um, my degree is in exercise physiology. I worked at St. Luke's and community health. I have a huge passion to help people. Um, like people think, oh, you know, I need to be fit to go to pivot. And I'm like, no, 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 this is not for like, you know, it is for performance, but it's really for, I always say, you know, 99% of the population, um, they need to be accountable. They need um, someone or something to kind of help them get on a path. I would do anything to wake up and have my coach tell me what to do every day again. Like, right. so my whole, my whole philosophy is um, if you can get people on a plan, if you can help people take that next step, we have um, a gym, we have functional training, we have yoga, we have cycling, and we're going to soon bring in health service. So wellness exams, physical therapy, mental health. Uh, we have a registered dietitian. So all the things I feel like that my life encompassed, whether it be from playing sport and keeping from being injured 
to going to U of I and majoring in exercise physiology. And my dream was to like be in corporate health. Yeah. And there was no jobs when I got out. I don't know what happened there. Um, and then obviously just my pathway to going from the minute I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting out of shape to riding my bike to becoming an Olympian. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> but just setting goals and, and actually finding that trigger point to inspire people to change for kind of a better, healthier life. And then um, being a mom and, and really, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at balancing all this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before people would say, oh, you know, it's so easy for you because you get paid to ride your bike. Like, that's easy. <laughs> Try working full time and not getting paid to exercise. And so the last four years now I've had my internship of not getting paid and <laughs> motivated. And so now I can actually speak to people that are telling me that I was paid to, to work out. So um, anyway, it's really just bringing health and really breaking down barriers for people to, to be healthy. And um, they're awesome. Our gyms are awesome. And um, yeah, I am, I look forward to, you know, I always hope that people from University, University of Idaho come and in the sports medicine or in the wellness arena when they graduate. I hope they come apply at Pivot. Um, I've had a couple of registered dietitians come in um, that are from U of I that um, have worked with us. And so, yeah, you know, um, I, I always love to see those new graduates because, you know, the field is not a super easy industry to get into. There's always a lot of opportunity. But, you know, if you ever want to stop by, you know, we're yeah. always open, open. So, yeah, hopefully this helps get the get the word out there for yeah. vandals that are graduating yeah. or just graduated. Yep. Pivot. Pivot. All right. All right. I think we got we got one more question for you. Okay. What advice would you give to freshman a freshman vandal or just at any advice to any vandal that's currently attending U of I? <clears throat> um. So any any freshman out there. If I were to go back, now I'm aging myself again, um, and give advice is don't be in a hurry. You know, I know that I don't want your parents listening to this, but um, the time of your life, these next four years, these next five years are probably the best times that, that could be some of the best times of your life. There's where friendships are made. Um, by the way, for all of you who have come from Idaho to Idaho, I was a military brat. I moved every three years. And the grass isn't greener outside of Idaho. Um, Idaho is a pretty cool place. And oftentimes I go and I do talks and, and, and youth and students are always telling me that I just want to get out. I just want to get out. And I tell you what, I've been out and I've come back. And so enjoy every moment up at University of Idaho. It's a, it's a great environment. Um, do everything you can to, I get the letters from the president of University of Idaho. Do everything you can to keep the campus safe during these really hard times, this pandemic, because my son is online going to school right now. And I'm telling you, you don't <laughs> want to go there. Do not want to go there. So be appreciative of um, what they've done and the measures they've taken. But obviously this is going to be a year to remember. 
Um, I think everybody will remember 2020. We'll all be happy for 2020 to be behind us. But again, um, you should embrace, embrace this time. And um, I don't know, studying is important, but, but have a little fun. You know, you always look back at these days and uh, you might not remember human anatomy and physiology, but you'll remember those friendships. So just, um, yeah, embrace this time. Um, I, I would go back in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. All right. So uh, we, we did kind of lie to you. We, we've got one more thing for okay. you. Uh, we, have, we have a segment called Getting Ice. We put you on the hot seat this, this entire episode. So we're going to give you a chance here um, <laughs> to ask us anything you want. It could be sports-related, life-related, Idaho-related. Um, so we'll do a quick little ad read to give you some time to think about it. And then um, we'll, we'll have you uh, ask it after that. Have your summer plans been canceled? Are you having a hard time finding a backup plan? Well, don't fret and don't look too far away. There are amazing options right out your back door. Venture into Idaho's largest protected wilderness. Uh, or sorry, venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental United States for the ultimate form of social distancing. Hughes River Expeditions has run first-class trips on the rivers in the West since 1976. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the middle fork of the salmon, the Salmon River Canyons in the Selway, or even special trips like the one to see the Perside Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine beaches, hike amazing trails, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, take, take in the history along the river's edge, and fish some of the remote stretches of river, and let us handle everything else. Hughes River Expedition is vandal-owned and operated and is ready to take you on the vacation of a lifetime. HRE is booking trips now through 2023. You can check them out at HughesRiver.com or give them a call at the HRE office. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bowl on world-class rapids right here in the Gem State. Call them now at 800-262-1882. That's 800-262-1882. There's never been a better time to get out in the fresh air of Idaho's backcountry. All right. Talking about grass is always greener outside of Idaho. Where, what other state can you get all that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, you are keeping it all Idaho here. That's what we do. A lot of people don't know it. Montucky, even though it's the official, unofficial beer of Montana, Vandalone. So that's, we keep it very Idaho here. <laughs> all right. Um, your turn getting iced. Fire away. So, you know, obviously I'm here with the two of you. Um, I do podcast, but what struck me was, it was from U of I and, you know, a lot of times I'm just like, Oh, do I have another time to do a podcast? And, you know, but for Vandal, I, I had a hard time, like even, I mean, normally I don't, I don't even think twice. I'm like, sure. Yeah, I'll be there. What time? And though it maybe took a couple of weeks. How did, how did you two start this show? And um, I haven't even asked sort of where the show came from and truly I don't even know where it goes. <laughs> this. So kind of give it to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it started as a, a website, tubsattheclub.com, which which does still exist. But uh, it was started by a former Argonaut writer, um, Sean Kramer, who just felt like once he graduated, the team wasn't really getting coverage. Um, and so he was doing some, I think, some freelance work for like the Lewiston Tribune, the Spokesman, the Seattle Times and stuff like that. Um, but wanted to be able to better cover Idaho. Uh, really took off. And I think he started it this preseason of 2016. So he got to ride that whole bowl ride um, or bowl ride. And it really took off. And then um, 
I'm out in Seattle. He, he's a Seattle guy. So he was moving to Taipei, Taiwan and asked me if I wanted to kind of take it over. Uh, he had already brought Martin in on that time uh, to kind of run. Yeah, at that time, Martin was doing like the band because he's in the marching band, yeah, the, band the band and everything like that. And then I was going to be doing Greek life and some sports stuff. And then it, it kind of evolved. I was like, well, you know, have you thought about doing a podcast? And he's like, you know, I'm down for whatever. It's basically your guys' your guys's show now. Um, go for it. So I, I started the podcast in 2018 after the announcement that we're moving to the FCS uh, by myself. And then one of our biggest listeners who was asking questions every single week eventually asked if he could be a part of basketball. We brought him on for basketball. It's Brian Marceau. Um, since then, we've added a former long snapper for the football team um, and an, another vandal to run our Instagram. So we've kind of built this small little team off of just feeling like Idaho wasn't getting enough coverage. Um, and that, that was kind of the, the task of it. And it's morphed into – a weird friendship where uh, we all talk so much throughout the day. And until a couple of years ago, none of us had even met. So some people still haven't met Sean because he's still over te teaching English in Taiwan. But yeah, we just did it. Uh, I mean, none of us were, well, Martin's actually the only one still in Moscow. So it was like the rest of us just needed something to feel like Idaho. And uh, we all got involved and it's turned out to be pretty great. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. I think that you guys, um, have done a good job keeping it super Idaho. And yes. um, there's kind of this little, I don't know, this little hick flair to it. So yes, um, yes there is. <laughs> good. I think it's good. Um, and you know, for me, sometimes podcasts feel a little stiff and I think you guys did an awesome job. Um, just, I don't know, just talking and being normal. But to me that, that goes to show that, you know, Idaho, because I think that's what we're known for is we say yeah. hi to people and people freak out. They're like, why did that person say hi to me? They don't know me. I'm like, because that's what we do in Idaho. I was just over in Sandpoint this past weekend. <laughs> uh, I was driving down a little side road and the guy flipped a wave and it like took me a second. I like had to like put my hand back out the window and be like, oh, I missed him. Like I'm waving because I was like, Seattle people just don't do that. Yeah, so it I know. took me a second to be like, "What's he? Is he? Oh no, he's waving. Oh, that's right. I'm I'm back in Idaho. I need to get away. Sorry, man. But yeah. Well, um, we want to thank you again for coming on. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. You, yeah, anything you want to say before we let you go? Nope my my neighbor she used to play basketball at U of I, Susie Stride. So if you ever want another Idahoan, that's just she's a handful of years younger than me. You never know what she has to say. So. Oh. Always feel free to uh, uh, pass her along my email. We'll, okay. we'll I will love to have her on. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. Yeah. All right, Martin. So that was uh, Kristen Armstrong. So, I mean, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, we didn't get to talk about this because we were trying to keep the podcast a certain time of it. Would you rather win an Olympic gold medal? I don't even know what else to ask. Um, or ha have, uh, basically what I'm trying to say is, she also has a park named after her in Boise. That's that's pretty cool. I feel like I'd still rather have an Olympic gold medal than a park named after yeah. me. But I feel like I should adjust my webcam to still have active, make it look like Kristen's still with us. There we go. <laughs> we'll, we'll go to the, the small screens. But um, that was cool. I mean, is there anything she said that you really, you know, took away as like, wow, that's awesome? 
it was just kind of interesting to see like how what her thoughts were on the like the cancellation like how you kind of have to keep keep people motivated almost yeah without, like trying to if you if you drop off then other stuff then they'll lose motivation so you have to kind of keep yourself in the right direction always go gearing towards tokyo or whatever event yeah no and uh i'd say what hit me was because obviously um Oh, my family is big in Olympics, always have been. Uh, I, I kind of want to ask her, like, if she met in the other Idaho, like, you know, Speedy Peterson, um, RIP, and uh, Peekaboo Street. But, you know, we didn't get around to it. But, like, her story was so weird because, like, I just remember, like, her kind of coming out of nowhere. I knew she competed in 04, and I don't think she brought it up. I think she did pretty good, like, seventh, eighth or something place. So um, that was impressive on its own, but I was like, before that, I don't think she had much. And that makes sense that she was kind of just got into it, did some trial thing where she was supposed to like help the team, but ended up winning it. And that's how she got the mm-hmm. spot. Cause I do remember something like she'd only had like two or three events before the 04 Olympics that I remember seeing. So um, it was cool hearing the story that it was late. She never really was into biking. Uh, she tried a bike race once and got off it and started running. So it was really cool for me to kind of hear that yeah. side of the story of like, who knew it? Hey, I'm not 30 yet. I could still be an Olympian. Like I'm jazzed right now. I just need to, maybe it's maybe biking's my sport. I'm like her. I have a mountain bike. I've done it a couple times. I've never done a road race. Maybe that's what it is. I just need to hop on to a road race. I think time's a little different now. I feel like there's a lot of people that bike now. I feel like oh, yeah. I would have had to start a little bit sooner, but um, yeah, cool interview. Um, we'll tag some of our stuff in the description. So if you're interested um in pivot and also uh the kx3 we'll we'll put links into there because those are all really awesome products real quick brian or sorry yeah martin <laughs> brian Jeez, we miss you brian um yeah by the time this is aired brian won't been on an episode forever the people are gonna think he's left brian is not left um but football has played uh we just had week zero we're recording this February, uh, September 1st, uh, the Central Arkansas, number 10 Central Arkansas Bears just beat Austin P. number 13, seven points. I did not hit my over, which killed my parlay, but uh, we got week one football coming up where we got four teams playing FBS schools. Uh, your opinion, because Brian and Alex and I have beat this dead horse too much, but do you feel like maybe the big sky jumped the gun and not allowing – Teams like Idaho to possibly pursue something like UCA did, where you know what? Maybe we weren't going to make the playoffs this year. Maybe it's better to get a nine-game exposure where you're going to get two to four national televised games in the fall and be the biggest show. Everyone in the FCS is following you. I think UCA has just set their program up for the next five years of being super successful because they're the biggest name in the FCS this fall. And we're not even sure if FCS football will happen this spring. That aside. They have a potential to absolutely come out as 2020-21 as just the king winner. I mean, pending, obviously, the huge risk they're taking, um, mm-hmm. that goes unspoken. I don't think I need to say what hap- what would happen if somebody, um, you know, had the worst-case scenario COVID happen. But, you know, I'm not going to view the negative side of it. I'm going to go the glass half full that this is going to work. Um, what are your thoughts on the big sky saying, you know, even though – we're not playing conference play. You also can't go out and pursue your own schedule. I think I, 
I feel that it's the right decision. I I feel like they made the right decision, but I also wish they would let the schools decide the they're out of conference stuff because the conferences don't like unless I'm missing something. The conferences really don't get a say in who you play for out of conference and stuff. So I think that should have been left up to the schools, individual schools themselves, to let them do their own thing. Yeah, I kind of think that maybe. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I kind of think they made the right call, but I also kind of wish they also maybe would let the schools make that decision, not the conference itself. Yeah. Unless there was a vote on that too that I missed for. No. Yeah. So they said no Big Sky play, mm-hmm. and originally that's why Idaho is still allowed to play Temple. They did not yeah. say you could not play out of conference schedules. Mm-hmm. Then there was another vote that occurred that enough schools did not deem it like fair or competitive yeah. was not competitively fair to let some schools basically Idaho, I think NAU were and Weber, like the only three really pursuing it. And you would assume the Montana schools might've taken a poke around at it yeah. to pursue an out of conference schedule. Cause I mean, I'm already saying it right now, like Idaho versus Idaho state, Montana, Montana state, those three play each other. Then do a Missouri state Bobby versus Paul home and home. Boom, you have six games. I would have been content with six. And then maybe you play two FCS, FBS games. That's the thing. The FBS was allowed to play two FCS games this year because of the unique scenario. So you could have played like a UTEP and a Arkansas State or an old Sunbelt team, maybe App State or Coastal Carolina, some of our friends from the FBS versus FCS podcast. So, um, yeah, you know, I just wish they would have left it up to the schools. Um, And I know they're trying to keep all their members happy. And when – Three states aren't even four states because Colorado aren't even allowed to have teams practicing. They're going to look out for their best interests. I think it just points out what Brent Wahlberg kind of retweeted my tweet about it. Maybe this is the natural break the big sky has been looking at. Take the schools that appear to be more aligned in Idaho, Idaho State, Montana, Montana State, Weber, Southern Utah, NAU. Maybe throw in Dixie State when Eastern finally gets you know their financial picture figured out and. Um, their state state is safe to play. You give them an invite. I believe that puts you at ten teams, nine uh, game round robin. That's enough for you to play one other FCS team and a FBS money game if you want. Uh, I think that'd be the perfect Big Sky schedule. Then let UC Davis, Sac State, all them go form the new WAC or yep. bring back the Big West or something. But I don't know. I think it's like a natural point. But yeah. Uh, but that's it. Football's being played, which just made me a little sad that Idaho isn't playing. Um, but you know what? If we go into the fall and we win and somehow secure one of these 16 playoff spots, because they just announced that in the SCS as well, yeah. 16 teams with all 10 AQs, that means six at-larges. And I assume at-large now. Sorry to the Southland, the SoCon. It's going to be two Big Sky, two Missouri Valley, two CAA. This is not the year to like, ah, you know, we'll take a chance on a second, uh, you know, SoCon team or Big South team. No, sorry, Monmouth. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Kennesaw. If you don't win your conference, it's Big Sky winner, next two schools, Missouri, North Dakota State, and then probably South Dakota State, Northern Iowa. And then CAA is going to be like JMU, Villanova, ah, Albany, you know. So I, as Towson, I just think. You, you, you're not going to throw a bone to like, sorry, Nichols or Sam Houston State. There are some good teams that could probably get it, but they, they just won't. But that's a whole different episode. We got all fall to talk about that kind of stuff. But uh, I want to keep this one about where we're at. Martin, mm-hmm. 
what's going on in your life and how can the people find you? Um, as most of you know, I, uh, nothing, not a whole lot's going on in my life right now. I'm just working at, working at Schweitzer Engineering, kind of doing my thing there. And then also, which if there's also coworkers that listen to this podcast right now, say hi, please. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, follow me on Twitter at Hemi for, uh, under, at Hemi underscore 71 for all the recruiting stuff. And apparently, Apparently, as of this recording, 2022 offers are going out right now, so got to keep yeah. up track on that. Maybe so, they yeah. should start calling us Northern Arizona University. Yeah. <laughs> Northern, Northern Arizona. <laughs> uh, or, yeah. Um, yeah. You can find me at Chris underscore P underscore Hammond. Uh, schedule is kind of still up in the air. We've got a lot of stuff coming together. We've got an uh, episode recorded with the Splash Sisters that we're going to try to push a little bit more toward basketball season. We've got David Babora on the books. We've got uh, Alyssa Charleston on the books. We've got Theo Lawson on the books. We've got Michael Shandugar on the books. Uh, we're working on some other people, hopefully. So if there's somebody you want to see, tweet us or tweet them and tag us, Mark Schlereth. Uh, if everybody tweeted Mark Schlereth at you should go on top of the club, I bet you he would do it. So that's your guys' mission. Uh, one last thank you. If you haven't joined our Patreon, you can do it. Uh, we've got a lot of different tier levels. It's just another great way to support us now that we're on YouTube and doing the, the buzz for our, our hosting to get on Spotify and everything. Um, podcast became a little bit more expensive. But uh, so if you want to help us out, we'll never have a paywall, but go over to patreon.com backslash tubs of the club. We want to give a thanks to our club card member or tub card members, uh, Dallas Hammer and Matthew Janicek. I probably murdered that. And also our premium drink token purchasers, Nick Weber and Nick Marv Stutzman. So thank you guys for the support. Really, you you help keep the lights on here. Now it's time. No, you know what, Martin? You're on the podcast. This is always going to be your line. (laughs) And now it's time for the best band in all the land, the sound of Idaho, to play us out. Go Vandals. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.